Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. She was born ready. I was born ready. Hell yeah. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is episode four of season two of Free Cookies. A podcast all about wellness, lifestyle, food, and us, our relationship. And kind of whatever we feel like talking about. And what we really feel like talking about today actually are books that have had a massive impact on our lives. And of course, Kate has separated it into three different... Because there's different, there's different categories of books that impact you. Which I am going to shatter that because I'm having a, a lot of difficult... I actually have a large pile of books sitting in front of me right now. Like, I had to carry the books to and from the car, and I broke this question down into three. Three different books with specific fulfillment requirements and she had like five books and I'm like how can you have five books you can't have five books you can only have three books and if anyone follows me on Instagram you've probably seen our library so you can understand why just three books is nearly impossible and then stick around for the end of the show because we actually have a segment with my mom that we wanted to share Kathy Fagan that we wanted to share with you We, we actually recorded an entire interview with my mom, and we had some flaws Unfortunate audio. in the audio, so we're going to interview my mom again, but there's this five-minute segment that we just didn't want to waste, and we wanted to offer to you guys. So was, You legit have to get your tissues out for this one, because this cannot be recreated. Are they going to cry or blow their noses? Maybe both. It might be real crying, really snotty style. But first, the FIFA World Cup is here. <laughs> Good. And for those of you who don't know what the World Cup is, it's a lot of people playing What are you doing with football, your lives? Football, aka soccer, not the American kind. Yes. So the FIFA World Cup is 32 teams international tournament. What does FIFA stand for? Federation, Federation International Football, football Association. Association, something like that. It's something like, it's something like that. Okay. And we are traveling to the FIFA World Cup, which happens to be in Russia. In Russia, we're going to St. Petersburg. And we're leaving on Monday, June 25th. Correct. And so to combine the World Cup, we're not all, this segment is not us offering you a deconstruction of the 32 teams and who's going to win. It's going to be France. We all know it's going to be France. No, it's really going to be a deconstruction of Kate's brain because I would like all you listeners to know who may follow Kate outside of this podcast on things like ESPN that she has been a sport writer and commentator for many, many years. This is not a woman who spends her extra time, her spare time, consuming sports. Granted, she's always prepared for work, but this, you know, on our days off, we don't sit in front of the TV or sit at a sports bar watching games, unless it's the playoffs of something really important. So it's quite mind-blowing for me that she set her alarm clock for 6 a.m. 5.50. 5.50 because the match started at 6 a.m. And I just remember jolting out of bed thinking, this is a mistake. Why is your alarm clock going off? What's going on? And she just looks at me like a little cartoon character nose to nose. It's the World Cup, baby. <laughs> I have never seen you so animated early in the morning in my entire life. And she's watching all these games when I've never seen her sit around and watch a soccer match ever so I'm a little I'm still confused even though she's prepped me for this yeah and that's why when I think the world cup for for people who aren't following it is about four days old that's how long it's been going on it'll go on for a month and even though since we met almost three years ago I started talking about the world cup like two years ago which I just gathered it was this cool cultural experience that you were very lucky to get to be a part of and I think you're surprised that not is it not 
I'm not just like, oh, the World Cup is happening. It's not just that we're going to Russia. She's legit on our car ride here to record the show. She had it on her phone streaming, watching it the entire time. And I have been just alone with my own thoughts while Kate watches soccer. I wonder what those thoughts are. (laughs) I'm going to divorce her. First, we'd have to get married. That's a good thought. And I wanted to answer that question even more thoroughly than I think I have in our certain conversations about the World Cup. And I think, for me, the World Cup represents this last bastion of fandom that I'm allowed to have. Mm. So with work with ESPN, there really is no sport that we generally watch as an American public that doesn't feel contaminated to me. Whether I've covered it and I've seen... Contaminated for you or contaminated to all sports fans? No, no, no. Contaminated to me. For you, okay. Yeah. So for me, the NBA, I've covered it for three years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how much quicker can you make something feel obligatory than actually adding, you know, a job to that love? Absolutely. So I think almost all sports for me now, like traditional American sports, feel like work. And I don't have the same feeling I had when I was... 11 years old as a Knicks fan in the 90s, and I watched all 82 games of the season. And every night I would watch the pregame show on MSG. And I just, all it was was just pure joy over sports and this passion. And I don't have that at all with sports. And the last place that it's left is the World Cup. Okay. And so even though there are times when I'm out of the habit of making sports appointment viewing, and now it's viewing that has to do with reporting or researching, I want to make the World Cup appointment viewing. And so... There was this weird thing when the alarm went off at 5.50 and the match was coming on. I wanted to sleep, but I also, like, I also wanted to invest in this love of something again. I- I've just been sitting here smiling the entire time because this is legit a question that I asked Kate two days ago. And instead of the nice, eloquent response that she just gave to all the <laughs> listeners, she just went, baby, I've told you that it was going to be like this. <laughs> and you, were you just saving it for free cookies? Two things. One, I hadn't thought about it intensely. I think the first level of it is like, I remember... Y'all get the well-thought-out Kate Fagan. No, but I also... I I get the emotional, just watch soccer. I told you I loved it. Why didn't you believe me? (laughs) So I think I've uh, somewhat tried to So you've constructed a list, right? Uh, Yeah. So so what I wanted to do at the start of today's show, because it's World Cup, and because I don't think it makes sense, and I don't have the authority to actually really talk about the teams and the players, (laughs) I just love it. And we're going... I thought it'd be fun to make a list of my travel rules, rules that I have for traveling. Oh. How I want to travel and the things that I- Do you think I'm going to agree with these rules? I don't know. Do you think these are things that our listeners should actually add to their list or this is just a very specific Kate Fagan experience? Well, I think, and what's wrong with a specific Kate Fagan experience? Who doesn't want the specific Kate Fagan experience? I hope for our listeners that it- spurs them to consider what things they do when they travel. Like the English club team. Spurs? Like, ooh, the Tottenham hot spurs. Mm. High five. We just sport it up. Thanks. So, and then if it doesn't spur your own mind, like, what do I do when I travel? What rules do I have even if I don't call them rules? Because these aren't rules that I always do, but they were like a parameters for how I like to travel. Right. And some of them are philosophical and some of them are very, very specific. That I have not heard yet, yeah, by the way. So you haven't heard them. So... And I'm not, I actually have them in order, but I'm not going to read them in order, and I'm not suggesting that they should be in any kind of order. I'm just going to offer them up to you as I look at them. All right. Number one, I try not to drink alcohol the night before or eat very much because I hate being on a plane and feeling 
full or hungover or groggy. It's actually something when I'm in control of it at all, because sometimes there might be a dinner that we have to go to and then I have to, and then I have to order really clean things or like abstain. And that's much harder for me. Most of the time I'll stay in before a flight because I want to feel like fresh and kind of light. You don't feel like you don't drink the night before a flight because you're just really looking forward to drinking a lot on the flight. Well, maybe the case if it's a long haul <laughs> flight, like it will be to Russia. Right. We only do, we only drink on international flights because technically I think there's something, there's an absurd amount of liters per hour that you're supposed to drink to actually maintain hydration right? while you're on a flight. Without even taking into account the alcohol factor. I, I think it's over 16 liters or something like that. So then add into it. So wait, wait, why do we always drink on long haul flights when now we're going to have to consume so much more water to counteract? We, we just get so bored. <laughs> I guess you figure like, mm, I'm already behind the eight ball. Party on a tube. <laughs> okay. Number two. And I want to know if you, if you think I actually do this thing. Okay. I always try to pay attention to the safety routine on the flight. I, I know. I object. You I object only because I have sat next to you while you sat next to a pilot who was obviously not flying, who was just on the flight. And it was past the time of, please put your phone in airplane mode. mode. And you, like the rebel that you are, were still writing an email or texting to the point that the pilot said to you, you need to turn that off And I said, mind your own business. You did not. I said, don't act like it matters if I'm on my phone all the way onto the runway. I am very I strict about making sure I am in airplane mode. And you are, when we're at maybe 200 feet, are like, Bloop, airplane mode off. Or I, think it's, I think it's adorable that you turn off your cell service the second the door closes. Yeah. I think it's adorable. It's, it's, it's like it's a very old school Well, I feel like they wouldn't tell us to do that if it actually didn't have some kind of impact. And when I'm on a plane and my life is concerned, I feel like I will do everything that you say that might help me to live. So I have tried to always watch the safety routine. You guys, she's just saying that. Okay, so you don't think I ever watch it? <laughs> I know. Okay, number three. I always plan everything around coffee shops in the city I'm going to not, I'm sorry, everything is too much, but my starting points in a morning will be a coffee shop. Yes. She will often book where we stay as long as it is within walking distance to a coffee shop that we want to go to. And some of that is, which I love about you actually. Yeah. Some of it is, I really love good coffee and I want good coffee. And so I'll research it ahead of time. And it's a good way to feel local too. Yes. So that's another thing. And then the third thing is, is that I've found that it ends up taking you to neighborhoods that you wouldn't have started your day in. Like, mm. cause if you're just going to the Starbucks, you're probably in a tourist area. Whereas if when, or the, on any street, anywhere in any city in the world, <laughs> <laughs> but if you find the best local roaster, it's probably in a neighborhood that's a little more Brooklyn-y. Keep in mind that we're trying to find coffee shops that carry oat milk. So that inherently means that these coffee shops are probably a little little hipster. Okay, so I have two more. I try to acknowledge in the middle of every trip that it's going to be better in retrospect than it is in the moment. (laughs) On work trips or just on every trip? Almost every trip. There's for two. What does that mean about you? It means that there are times when. I think travel and in advance of travel, you can convince yourself that you're going to, everything will change when you're in that other place. Sure. Like I've, I've, I've mentioned this to you. Like 
if we're going somewhere and I'm super excited for it, there's this almost youthful feeling of like, I'll be different and life will be different okay. and my perspective will be different. And then I get there and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm just me. Now I'm in a different place. Counter question. I'm hoping there's one, at least one. Has there been anywhere that you've ever gone on your travels that has exceeded, exceeded your expectations for that place? When we went to Santorini, that exceeded my expectations. I will Because I don't recall that. you halfway through the trip saying anything like that in Greece. No, that's true. I will counter that by saying that when I went to the Colosseum in Rome, I, I, I used When you were a little bubba. When, well, I was 20. You were a little backpacking bubba. I was a backpacking bubba. What's that even mean? I don't know. Okay. That's cute. <laughs> but the, when I went to the Colosseum in Rome, I remember actually even journaling about my excitement leading up to it because I had studied Latin in high school and I loved Roman history. And you were by yourself. And I was by myself. And when I got to the Coliseum, it was very much like, oh, like it didn't, it didn't transcend the way I thought it would. And I've, I've written about that. Yes. I, and I, I, feel I, like- I didn't feel as if I was like magically connected to like ancient Rome the way, for some reason I thought that the, the, the Colosseum would still hold that energy. But I feel like that seals my theory of no matter how magnificent or magical a location is that you travel to in the world, the experience doesn't reach that level of magic unless you're sharing it with someone that you want to have that experience with. True. It does definitely... And I know a lot of people are probably not agreeing with me right now because I know a lot of people who love, love solo travel. Absolutely. And I'm not saying I don't think that's a real thing. I know for me personally, I don't want to travel by myself because for me, it's about shared experience. I think that's also why I like cooking. It's a shared experience. Yeah. You know what's crazy too is that now that I love you and I'm with you, there are trips I have taken that I like want in my memories for you to be in them. You've told me that before. And I think that's one of the better compliments you've given me. That means I love you a lot. I have one more on my list. Okay, what is it? And this is one that I recognize that I'm not good at, but not, I actually thought I was good at making eye contact and listening to the safety routine, but maybe oh. I forget. But this is one I try to be good at and I want to be better at when I travel is to refuse to life optimize once I'm there. You've become much better at that. And by life to optimization. She means living on Yelp. Yeah, and I, I, there are times when I've taken trips and... I'm Google searching for the next thing and the next thing. So it's like, what are we going to, the coffee spot. Okay. And then while we're doing whatever we're doing between coffee and lunch, I'm spending most of the time on my phone to find the best lunch With the reservation that's already been made. I mean, you should see what it's like trying to rent a freaking movie with this woman. Rotten Tomatoes, you have ruined my life. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, your percentages. Yeah. I'm like, it'll be a conceit that you're just obsessed with. And the preview looks good, and I will admit the preview looks good, but if that Rotten Tomatoes is below 50%, I'm out. I'm out. But so the life optimization thing I'm trying to get better at, and that's because I think I've talked a lot about in the past when it comes to like kids learning how to be resilient and growing up, kids needing to self-soothe more and like be okay with where they are, whether it's physically or emotionally. And I think with life optimization... I need to practice that myself because I have like showed, you've witnessed this. We've showed up to places for dinner and I have looked around and been like, this isn't quite the vibe I want. And then, or you and won't then, be happy at the table. You don't have a good enough table and you want to be not relocated. Good enough. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. And I need to learn to just make a good situation good. 
instead of thinking I have to change the circumstances of it to make I, it better. I'm looking at producer Lindsay, who's been in the food and bev industry, and I'm like, you know those people where they sit down and then they're not happy and they have to go somewhere else? I hate being that person. But I apologize for being that person, which I think makes it better. If you're like, I know I'm being that person, then, you, and then you're like, okay, they're self-aware. What more can you do? All right. Book so, time? Yes, book okay. time. All right, it's time for book segment. And I love that when we decided we wanted, I love you stacking your books and making sure they're all in <laughs> it's order. It's like the first day of school, I'm already at yeah. my desk. I love that when we decided on this segment that you really bought into it. I, well, and I'm an English literature major from the University of Virginia, Wahoo Wah. <laughs> Woo, go Buffs. Is that how that goes? I don't know. Go Buffs. And you spent the next probably 90 minutes kind of like, uh, what's the correct word for not Leaping. traipsing, but Leaping. what were you? No, you were like, you were like a little jitterbug around our house, like finding the books. I was dancing around my books <laughs> doing the jitterbug. So here are the rules because we can't have a book discussion and have it be free flowing. You know, we have to have parameters. Okay. So do we do all three in order or are we going to go back and forth? I think we go back and forth. So, uh, and, and chime in if you disagree with this philosophy when it comes okay. to, when you're like, when you ask someone, what's your favorite book of all time? I think the follow-up question is usually, are well, you okay with three? <laughs> <laughs> or it's, do you mean like, the one that entertained me most? Do you mean the one that came into my life at the right time? Do you mean the most memorable one? Like, I think there's usually- well, you could just say, do you mean three? Do you mean Seven. <laughs> For Catherine, it would be, do you mean my whole entire library? Because you get very passionate about them. So I think that books should be, when you ask someone that question, not should, but mo probably should, be broken down into three kinds of books. One is the most entertaining book you've ever read. Yes. Two, the book that changed your life. And three... Best writing. The best written book that you remember, either for the first time or that really strikes you the most of like, oh my God, the writing in this is just transcendent. So that's how we're breaking down this discussion. And you've already, you're, like, you have a big grin on your face and you already have a book opened up. So do you want to start at the most entertaining read? Uh, no, I, okay. I'm going to start with best writing. And I, I think that this book is going to be the, the perfect intro to this entire conversation. And this book, is, so John Connolly is the author and the title is The Book of Lost Things. And this book I read in my 20s when I was living in Los Angeles. And I have a really distinct memory of starting this book. This is when I was, I was teaching a client very early. She was a 5.30 a.m. client that I had. And so then I had to go teach a 7.30 a.m. class after that. And I had a little pocket of time. Did so, you go to her or did she come to you? Oh, I went to her. That's how that works. So you got up at 4.30? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yep. So trying. Little baby golden. Uh, doing That's the hustle. That's nickname, golden. Uh, doing the hustle. So I, I brought, I often bring books with me. So I would go sit at a cafe that was right next to the yoga works where I taught in Santa Monica and I would read. And I mean, it wasn't super cold because it was Los Angeles, but I remember it being brisk and they had a little fire going and I sat next to the fire and I started this book. And it was just one of those moments where the first few pages, I was so sucked into it and I knew that this was going to be a major adventure. And I just think his writing is so beautiful, but he describes stories in such a beautiful way. And these, I'm going to read two passages to you guys, two paragraphs. 
and David, who is the, the young child whose mother is sick, classic fairy tale beginning. And this is how it goes. Uh, it says, David's mother would often tell him that stories were alive. They weren't alive in the way that people were alive, or even dogs or cats. People were alive whether you choose to notice them or not. While dogs tend to make them notice you, and they decided if you aren't paying enough attention to them. Cats, meanwhile, were very good at pretending people didn't exist at all when it suits them, but that was another matter entirely. Stories were different. They came alive in the telling. Without a human voice to read them aloud, or a pair of wide eyes following them by flashlight beneath a blanket, which is close to a blanket. They had no real existence so well. in our world. They were like seeds in the beak of a bird waiting to fall to earth or the notes of a song laid out on a sheet yearning for an instrument to bring their music into being. They lay dormant, hoping for the chance to emerge. Once someone started to read them, they could begin to change. They could take root in the imagination and transform the reader. Stories wanted to be read, David's mother would whisper. They needed it. It was the reason they forced themselves from their worlds into ours. They wanted us to give them life. <sighs> wow. Baby Catherine I mean, chilling at a coffee shop down the road right? from you. Was it cafe? Was it Earth Cafe? It, uh, it was Earth Cafe. Exactly. You have tears in your eyes. It's so good. That's how good this writing is. And I also have to say that the first line of this book is once upon a time, for that is how all stories should be kin. And um, I actually have a tattoo on my right arm that says, once about a time, dot, 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 which Kate got for me on my 34th, 35th birthday. And so once upon a time is written on my bicep. Well, not all my bicep, most of my inner arm. And then in Kate's handwriting, I have on my back, dot, 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 happily ever after. As all great stories begin. Yes, and I think that, you know, I wanted the once upon a time to be in my handwriting to be emblematic of I'm the author of my life, and happily ever is not an actual ending, but a, a daily opportunity to rebirth, to, to alter where you want to go. And stories give that to me. I love you. I love you. I don't know what it says about me that I didn't bring each of the books I'm about to talk about, <laughs> but... I'm emotionally attached to yeah. books, though. So my, the book that really stands in my mind as best writing is Bel Canto by Ann Patchett, who you know Which is I have one, yet of, to read. one of my favorite writers. And I was noticing in the process of choosing these books that all of them are books that I read between like 19 and 22, which I think is a very formative mm. when, you're, when you're morphing into an adult reader. So there are books that you might yes. remember as a young adult, certainly, and, and as a kid. And then there are books you have to read in high school. And then I think there are these books when you come into your own as a reader. So that wasn't a book that you studied. That was a book that you read on your I own. I read on my own. Okay. And I remember there's a... I, I, didn't, I don't have the book with me because I, apparently I don't care quite as much. <laughs> you, you're just like... You, you did like research for this. I have all these tattered books. <laughs> but Anne Patchett, I remember there was a certain like paragraph in it where... Well, the whole thing was beautiful, but I remember closing that book and being like, this is what writing should be. Absolutely. And that, that's the memory of that in my mind. I read Commonwealth, her most recent book, yeah. which I thought... If you asked me to explain what the synopsis of the story was, I would really struggle with it. I d the actual story didn't captivate me as much as her writing. And yep. so I totally agree with you that she just has a way, way with words. All right. So sh which one do you have teed up next for okay. us? All right. We can either do most entertaining or okay. book that changed your life. Well, okay. 
I'm gonna. You 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 have to pick one. I'm gonna go with most entertaining. Okay. And that's a tricky. And again, this is just like what I picked today, right? There's I could have so many iterations of this, but as you can see from this book, this is I bought. So I'm holding the essential Dracula, which is. Dracula, Bram Stoker's, and um, this was edited by Leonard Wolf. And I bought this when I lived in Kansas, which means I was when you were writing your diary. When I was still <laughs> writing my diary and reading Dracula, it was very complicated. <laughs> and I remember buying this at the University Bookstore, and it's so great. It's annotated, so I this oh, is oh, obviously oh god, an annotated book. It's so great. It is so great because I it, know a lot of people who would see annotated books and they would want to run far, far away from that book. Well, if it's an entertaining book and it's annotated, see, I mean, the usually entertaining books aren't annotated. <laughs> Mm. Well, so this one's extra juicy, and I just would like to point out, so Dracula I was obsessed with at a very young age. I actually used to have all these really gnarly vampire dreams on a regular basis when I was little, Uh, but I would just like to point out this is pre- Twilight. This is pre the Vampire Diaries. This is you know how vampires. So you paved the road. for God, like, I feel like I did. The I feel like love. I was totally ahead of the game with knowing the vampires were super cool, and um, yeah, this book has been very a big inspiration for me as a writer too. As I brainstorm many fictional things that I would like to compose, I will take a lot of inspiration from this Irishman. But 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 but. Oh wait, no. Also, I just, yes, I had to pick this up too. Honorable mention too. As highly entertaining is Night Circus, The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. And this was such a, the best way to describe this book was this book gave me magic when I really needed it. Ooh, that's a good tease for a later podcast. Yeah, there's a lot. This was just, it, it is one of the more imaginative beautifully woven. I think the word woven is a good word for this book. And it's not, uh, this was also the impetus for a really um, big change when things were not working out with my ex-husband, where he knew I loved this book. And he was rifling through some of my books and he picked up this one and he looked at it and he went, the Night Circus, what a crappy piece of, I don't remember the exact words, but he knew that I loved it and he knew that it was emblematic of my love. Yeah. And it worked. (laughs) Really? I know. I didn't write it. It was just, I'm like, stop throwing my babies around. Yeah. Why would you talk shit about something I love? Yeah. So that was kind of a reminder of what was magical for me and what was definitely not magical for me and where I needed to make change. All right, that's something we will definitely probably touch on in a later podcast. Teaser. So my most entertaining book is The Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. Which she's not holding in her hands I'm not holding. And this book, I mean, a lot of people out there, and probably a lot of our listeners, have read The Pillars of the Earth. And they turned it into a really good series, too. Yeah, I don't know. Is it really good? Rotten Tomatoes said it was less than 50%. Oh, my God. (laughs) And the follow-up, Ken Follett's follow-up, A World Without End. I I read read that that. as well. But Pillars of the Earth, to me, was, and it's a massive book. I think it's something like 1,200 pages. And why it always sticks with me is because... I don't know if you remember, but Pillars of the Earth came out a long time ago. It came out in it's like the, 20 years ago? 15? Yeah, and, and then it, it had a resurgence, and Oprah picked it as her book of the month. And this was like 10 plus... We've got great books! <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Around the Horn this week, but um, inside joke between us. is always very for listeners. Um, so it came out when I was in high school, Pillars of the Earth, and then it had a renaissance when Oprah picked it 10 years later. And... I remember my mom was reading Pillars of the Earth when I was in high school. 
And she said, you'll love this book. You should read it. And what I said to her was, I don't read books that are in places I haven't been and times I haven't lived. (laughs) And apparently that was my rule for books back then. So what did you read? Exactly. (laughs) I read books based in what set in upstate New York. (laughs) But I, I remember my mom looking at me. And Is it a Schenectady author? I didn't think so. <laughs> Did this happen in the 90s in upstate New York? Because I remember my... my Is Winona writer in it? <laughs> Somehow my thinking was like, how am I supposed to picture that if I haven't seen it before? My mom just... I think it was one of those... Her reaction was like probably like when we have a kid or when anyone has a kid and the kid says they hate some... I hate strawberries, right? right? Like some fruit or some piece of food that you just know, just wait. Yeah. And as you get older, you will appreciate this thing that you are poo-pooing right now. And so when it came back around and it had a renaissance and I remember Oprah picked it, I was like, you know, my tastes have expanded a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I should give that book a shot. I read authors in the tri-state area. My mom... <laughs> Good upstate knowledge. (laughs) My mom to this day will be like, so, books in places you haven't been in times you haven't (laughs) lived. But, I mean, credit to me for, like, at least knowing what I liked. That's one hell of a comeback. I mean, (laughs) she can't really fight you at that point. Right, right. You know know what you want. I'm 15 years old, and she's like, well... It is 1200s London, so it doesn't fit into your parameters. It's not even close. Oh my gosh, Kathy Fagan, I can't wait to talk to her about that. All right, so um, the last one, the book that changed your life, which I truly believe you yeah. can only have, you can have more than one of, but for this conversation, oh, I hope there's God, one. Oh God, there's so many, but I did pick, I, I think I picked one that has been, that not only changed my life, but that I use regularly in hopes that it helps change other people's lives Yep. as a teacher. So it's not fiction. This is actually, it's David Foster Wallace, and it was a commencement speech that he gave at Kenyon College, I think it was 2005, and they turned it into a little printout, a little book, and it's called This Is Water. And honestly, I I mean, it's everyone listening to this, and this is not hashtag an ad, this is hands down the best thing everyone should own it or go online and print it off. And I, we keep this next you can to read, our You can our read bed. that commencement speech online. Yeah, this, we obviously you can read this in because, 20 minutes, probably. Yeah. And I don't know. It's also great, but there's this amazing passage towards the end of this speech where he talks about the concept of worship. And it's so witty because, you know, he's like, everybody worships. You can't say you, you don't worship. And he doesn't necessarily mean religious. He's not talking about Jesus or Yahweh or, or Allah and all of that. He's talking about the actual things that we worship in our lives. Like, do we worship beauty? Do we worship power? Do we worship money? He says, worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. I mean, who comes up with those kind of sentences? I wonder whenever we read, when because I've read that repeatedly, and I know yeah. you have as well, what it was like to hear him give it, because it could have gone one of two right, ways. Wait, college students. Were they listening, or were they just riveted? Because right. I have zero recollection of my college commencement speaker. Well, no the offense. kids at the University of Colorado from 2017 will always remember their commencement speaker. That's true. Season <laughs> one, free cookies if you want to listen. <laughs> so the book that changed my life, and... I wish I could give you why. Is or this maybe, the same age span for, for Baby I read, Kate? I read, so my, the book that changed my life was The Book Thief. 
and it was which she actually people has in front of her now. This is the one I brought. Brought because this is bought, the one that changed her life. And bought. I bought it and then I brought it. I have two copies of it. <laughs> um, this this copy I'm holding in front of me. This is great podcasting. Talking about the books I'm holding in front of me. It's signed by the author Marcus Zuzak. And he's from Australia, and he signed it. But so I, I wish I could say why. I don't know something about the writing in this book. It's, it's about a young woman who lives in Germany during World War II. And I do have a love of... She's obsessed with that era. World War II in Germany, so part of it is that. But um, there's this one exchange and graph paragraph at the end of an early chapter and I flagged it and it's it's weird for me to read it because I don't know I can say why I care so much about it but I'll just read it please do so the two characters names they're young kids one is Rudy and one in one is Liesel and one's a boy one's a girl and they're living together in in Germany leading up to World War II and it says for now Rudy and Liesel made their way onto Himmel Street in the rain he was the crazy one who had painted himself black and defeated the world. She was the book thief without the words. Trust me, though, the words were on their way, and when they arrived, Lizelle would hold them in her hands like the clouds, and she would wring them out like the rain. Oh, wow. And I just like that what last graph. What does it even mean? Graph. I just like the... Vi- the, vi- the whole- no, that's what's so great. There's so many ways to interpret what that all means. Yeah. And so the book thief, it, it was turned into a movie, which... Was it good? It was a good movie. It was like 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) But the book itself, if anyone hasn't hasn't read it, is just stunningly beautiful. I actually have not read it yet. It was one of those surprise young adult hits, like where I think it sold something like three million copies worldwide. It aesthetically does not look like a young adult book. No, not at all. Not at all. And it's about death. The main it's narrated by death. So Mm. You know, that's a very Neil Gaiman thing to do. Exactly. Which I am so sorry, Neil. I know you're listening and I know how much you love our podcast. He loves free cookies. And I know you're really heartbroken that we did not mention one of your books. That's Neil. Listen, it's because it would be humanly impossible to pick just one of your books. You know what I have just one of? Definitely not my list of books. My mom. (laughs) I only have one mom. So I think we should you know, bring her, well, we're not really bringing her on. It's true. We, we are going to play a clip that was recorded a while ago. But before we transition into t- uh, listening to Kathy Fagan really say something unbelievable, uh, please go to our Instagram page today. It's at Free Cookies Podcast. And we're going to have a post up today. And we would love for you to tell us about your three or three. ten. Three. No, 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 no. Look, I, we both read the page. Three. I, Most entertaining. Bring Just bring it. Book that changed your life. Best writing. Those are the three. And you may have sub tiers, okay? So please share on our Instagram page. We want to hear from you. We want to know why. And let's get Kathy Fagan. Come on in, Mom. my mom on the show and we actually recorded this a few months ago but something was up with and it wasn't our current producer Lindsay okay she was not recording it but something was up with the audio and I think listeners probably noticed it in last week's Misty Copeland episode 
And we're going to push through because we have a couple interviews that you can see it bounces from right ear to left ear. Somebody's in one ear and not in the other ear. we really wanted you to feel involved like you were there, you know, kind of like a ping pong ball. And imagine you were closing one ear and then opening another. People love that kind of audio. Like you're swimming and talking to someone (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) And one of those interviews was with my mom. And the, uh, the other ones that we have that have that audio problem. We like, we can't record them again, but with my mom, she comes down here a lot. And so we're like, you know what? Let us record this again. She's your mom. She owes us. She owes a mom thing. Oh yeah. She owes me. It's not the other way around, (laughs) but there's this one moment in the conversation we recorded with her that we just could never replicate again because it came out of nowhere. And and it was instigated by our lovely producer from season one, Sarah Johnson. You'll hear her voice. This this is kind of a test. Hey, Sarah Johnson, if you're listening to this episode... You better text us right now. Text us and let us know you're listening. The emoji of a bunny. (laughs) That's what we want, a bunny emoji, Sarah. So she actually teased up my mom. We're like, she asked the question, so you'll you'll hear her voice first, and then it's the way my mom answers it that she hits it out of the park yeah so we wanted you guys to hear this especially because it's it's pride month and it does have to do with a theme that coincides with the celebration this month of all things lgbtq so let's bring her on sarah and my mom So here's what I'm curious about. What would you do all over again slash tell your 18-year-old, 21-year-old, 35-year-old self? Stop and think. Always stop and think before you open your mouth. Um, I I think that's the most important thing because I think some of the I think some of the situations I regret the most are ones where I had a, I had a visceral reaction that I acted on or spoke on without really taking into account all the ramifications. And where that comes into play the most is when, um, when Kate came out to me. Because while we have differing memories of that whole situation, I know that my first gut reaction was sadness for a lot of different reasons. And I should have let her know right then and there that it didn't matter. And that I loved her. And that's not the first thing that came out of my mouth. While it is the truth. We were just kind of, or I was, just kind of bowled over and shocked. And it wasn't, it wasn't as, and now <laughs> it's, it, it's nothing. It's just such a part of our lives, you know? But for my daughter to think for a split second that that's not how I really felt still, still hurts me. I think that's pretty common, too. I've had my mom actually in, in the past year say she was really embarrassed at how she handled it. 
and not so much in a way where, you know, I don't, I imagine you didn't feel like your mom didn't love you for a second, but my mom's reaction was driving to Brooklyn and trying to talk me out of it and running into the bowl. Uh. I thought you wanted kids. Well, what about your buddy Paul? Well, what about this? <sighs> you know, and, and over the years I've kind of figured out that it comes from a place of fear of you don't want your kid discriminated against. Right. You don't want to be, you know, hate crimes were still very relevant at that time. And, oh, you know, at that time, marriage wasn't legal. And she knew I wanted kids at some point. So, you know, at the time, it was like, why is she trying to talk me out of this? I was pretty clear that it's not a choice. But you do have those initial reactions to things. So know that you're not the only mom that that sort of reacted in a, in a way like that. Oh, sorry. Thanks, I Sarah. thought you were done. She has more questions. Oh, I want another question, but I wanted to say something. Well, I love you. I love you, Kate. Do you remember where we were? The tattered cover. Tattered cover bookstore in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think not necessarily. Well, I think. Even that moment and right then, I, there's so many things I wish I had done differently. Because I feel like I put a lot of roadblocks in the way of, like, meaning the way I was communicating to you guys at that time and lying about so many things that I wish I had made it a moment where it could have been a, about a pure reaction to one another as opposed to also a reaction to how I had been treating you guys then and avoiding you and not mm-hmm. talking and yeah it's hard so I, but I I've always known that you love me all the time <laughs> every single moment all the time thanks Kate I know I know you know is there any way to make it going forward where when you think about it you don't think that I ever thought that you didn't love me no right now it yeah. helps So that's it for free cookies. Shout out to our amazing producer, Lindsay Collins. And please listen to her podcast, F&B Radio. It is all about food and Bev and the industry in Charleston, South Carolina. (laughs) Food and Bev. Don't forget to email us your questions or your praise. We don't like criticism, so don't send (laughs) criticism our way. It's freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. Or you can private message us on Instagram at freecookiespodcast. And we've actually gotten a number of emails from all y'all. We read all of them, and we're going to actually... And I'm the only one who responds, as you all know. I don't respond to email, even my own email, even my work email. She's often standing over my shoulder, so technically it's both of us. Anyway, please rate and review the show. Leave nice comments. We love you! <laughs>